Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. everybody to episode 84 of the Greenlight Podcast. On this episode, we are joined by Kevin Sweeney of the CBB College Basketball Central Podcast. Kevin, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. Much, uh, much appreciated. Yeah, for sure. Um, we got a lot to talk about, so let's jump in. Um, per usual for guests on the pod, for everyone and anyone that doesn't know who you are, your background, um, where you came from, what you do, give, give them, uh, you know, the brief rundown of, of uh, how you got here. Sure. So uh, I grew up in Albany, New York. It's kind of where the journey begins. Um, and I grew up like when I was 10, 11, 12 years old was when, you know, and the listeners may or may not remember this, was when Sienna was really good under Fran McCaffrey. You know, Fran oh, yeah. obviously not in Iowa. You know, they, they three-peated and won the match. You know, and Sienna is, you know, in my backyard. My dad went to Sienna. My mom works at Sienna now. My brother goes to Sienna. So it's in kind of the family school. And they won, you know, they, they beat Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. They beat Vanderbilt in the NCAA tournament. They were unbelievably good. And, you know, watching those teams kind of made me fall in love with college basketball. I didn't realize how crazy it was that this, like, 3,000-student little mid-major was beating Ohio State in the tournament. I was like, oh, this is just, this is what, this is what happens. You know, this is how college basketball works. I love it. Didn't, you know, I, I kind of wish I was like five years older and I, I would understand like that that's never happening again. At the end. Like, <laughs> no one's ever going to do that again as much as I would love to see it. So, uh, you know, that, I, I fell in love with it through that. And then my junior year of high school was when I, you know, I knew I wanted to, you know, I wanted to work in sports in some form or fashion, really know what that meant and said, you know what, I like college basketball. I like watching like the mid-major teams in the region. I'll start this little, uh, start a little blog about, it started, you know, mid-majors in the Northeast, and that was it. And I was you know, writing a little recap on my uh, on the site of, like, you know, the Monmouth Rider game that was happening. So, like, Justin Robinson was filling it for Monmouth. Or, like, you know, Princeton game. I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to watch the game and write about what I see or, you know, tweet about what I see. And, you know, kind of slowly but surely built up a following, uh, you know, through Twitter where people started to kind of, you know, care what I had to say, which was, which was really cool. And it was able to connect with, you know, different writers and different coaches and, and things like that. And you know, it took, I think, 10 months for me to get a hundred followers on Twitter and then another two months to go from a hundred to a thousand. And then a, a month from a thousand to a few thousand, it just kind of took off. I was able to do that really throughout my, my, my whole time in college running the website. And I started a podcast my freshman year that's still running today. Um, and, and was able to do that, you know, really and cover college basketball, you know, just like any, just like any, you know, I treated myself like I was at ESPN, even though I definitely wasn't. You know, I, I, I took on every chance I could and you know, tried to try to shoot for big stories when I could. I, I, when I pulled it off, I pulled it off. And then uh, this past year, my senior year of college, I was interning in Sports Illustrated, um, which was great. I was there through, you know, pretty much the entire college basketball season, there from December to April, which kind of worked out perfectly with, with college basketball. So got to do a lot of coverage for them, wrote some, some fun stories about like Abilene Christian and Oral Roberts, like when they were making their big runs and uh, that, that was really, really rewarding. And uh, actually just coming up in a, it, 
towards the uh, beginning of next week, I, I begin full time at Sports Illustrated as a college basketball writer, doing some other stuff as well for them, but you know, primarily I'll be writing about the sports. So definitely was not a there was not a charted path. There wasn't like a you know 2016 making this WordPress blog is going to drag me to you know a legacy media job. But you know, I'm unbelievably grateful that I did, and you know, to all the people at Northwestern who helped, other people, you know, from yeah, people I met through Twitter, you know, other coaches and media members who helped along the way. And obviously, the SI people who were grateful for it as well. So, uh, really, really, really excited. And, uh, you know, again, just, just it, it feels like a dream still that, that it all kind of came together like this because I just I mean, grew up loving college basketball. That was, that was all it was. I loved the sport. And uh, here we are. Okay. So, a lot to break down there. Let's go back to, um, Sienna, we yes, tell you a story offline about Fran McCaffrey <laughs> yelling at me for refing his son's, uh, he was probably in fifth grade then, championship game at Sienna basketball camp. Um, and he cursed me out. So I, I, I was on Fran, I was on Fran's son's Little League teams and he was uh, much more mellow about Little League than, uh, than the <laughs> basketball. Yeah, he, um, Fran does not mess around, whether it's fifth grade basketball or uh, Iowa or Sienna. Um, Okay, so fast forward all the way to now, um, Ian, we're going to have to do like some sort of like horns, congratulations, but uh, <laughs> you're going to be a writer, a podcaster, a content, what, what are you um, doing at Sports Illustrated? Primarily writing, um, you know, so I'll be, uh, you know, the cool thing is, you know, SI has, you know, Path 40, who's tremendous, yep. that covers a lot of college football. You know, most of his time is spent on college football. I think you know, and, and all Olympic swimming in there too with his daughter. Yeah, little, I always, I, always, I feel like I was racing. in the know. Yeah, a little horse racing. He he does it all. He's unbelievable. And, and we have Jeremy Wu, who is fantastic yeah. as well, but he's mostly on the draft. So you know, I think it was great this past year when I was entering there because there was a real need for someone who could just step in day to day and and follow a sport and and have that have that background. Obviously, both of those guys do a great job as well. But you know, I, I was fortunate to kind of come in at the right time and. Uh, so yeah, I'm primarily writing, writing about the sport, and obviously, if they want a podcast, I'll do some podcasting for them. Um, we experimented with stuff like, uh, you know, Clubhouse and Spotify Green Room stuff during during the late season. I'm sure we'll do stuff like that, but it'll be primarily like. Man, remember how? Remember Clubhouse? Just <laughs> I know, and and I I think uh, there there's still some potential there. There was a, there was a, that massive wave, but. I think for for the listeners that, that don't follow you on Twitter immediately, it, it's, it should be an automatic follow because I and this is this is our first time meeting you, Kevin. And I'll be honest, this is one one of my favorite college basketball follows. I think from everything that you post out, whether it's covering mid majors, whether it's just random um, tidbits of what you think about things, I think uh, obviously Sports Illustrated is is, is gaining. Um, a, a huge part of the team over there. And, and I know going back, I know you mentioned, I was interning there. I know you just graduated from Northwestern um, shifting a little bit. What was outside of the work life outside of preparing for your career? What was just the past year? Like being a college student in the middle of, of COVID and, and the uncertainty and the craziness that college basketball brought along with it. Oh, I mean, so, so I'll take you back. So in March of 2020, like when the world shut down, I was originally supposed to intern at SI from April to June of 2020. I had an Airbnb booked in New York city. Like we we're going to be in the office and I was so excited. And the day the NCAA tournament got canceled an hour before that happened, I got the email from Northwestern saying we're canceling all the you know internships that are happening oh, in the spring because of COVID. 
And so within, within an hour, I went from, oh my God, I'm interning Sports Illustrated. I can't wait for the NCAA tournament. I just started writing for SI like remotely before I was in the started. They had asked me to help for the NCAA tournament. I was like, man, life is incredible. And then in you know literally 60 minutes, it all fell apart. I had just taken over running our college student radio station sports desk. Me and my roommate, Eric, we were running that. So we had just started uh, like a week before as well. So it was like a weird transition time. And so all the plans just got ripped up. I was really fortunate that I could just take online classes for the final couple months of the uh, term. We're in like a quarter system instead of semester. So we start a new term on April 1st, um, or as we did when I was you know, a student there. I'm not, not a student anymore, which is wild to say. Alum that. Uh, yes, sir. Alum. Thank you. Yes. Uh, uh, but yeah, so, so I took classes for, for, for the spring, interned with Hashtag Sports of the Summer, took a sports business publication, loved, loved, loved it there, um, working remotely. And then I think the biggest thing was like, you started to feel this like, okay, are college sports happening this year? And the day that the Big Ten canceled the football season in August, my heart just like sank. Because I obviously I was going to be sad because I like covering not just Northwestern basketball, but Northwestern football. But at that point, like, I really didn't know that we were going to play a game, like any sports. And I didn't know if I was going to get to go to go to SI or intern with any sports publication because I didn't know who was going to be able to, you know, afford to do that at that point if college sports were going to go down um this is my senior year this was my shot and it was you know flashing before my eyes and so you know that month where it wasn't happening from august whatever 12th it was to september 10th i think it was when they restated or september 16th that was like the weirdest month of my life i just didn't know what i was going to do with myself and yeah once once the big 10 decided to come back with sports like the sports calendar became my school calendar you know i was you know, for, for the fall, it was uncovering, you know, the Northwestern football games for our radio station and following around. We had a great season, went to the, won, won the Big Ten West, went to the Citrus Bowl, it was fantastic. And then basketball season started and I started working for SI and like, you know, it was, that was its own grind. Like it was so taxing mentally, especially in March, because I was balancing trying to, you know, do, do stuff I normally do on campus for our student, student radio station with, with SI. And like, I'll, I'll give you an example going way too long-winded here but you know, <laughs> know we we so so in march our, our, our radio station covers the women's basketball team at northwestern very closely we, we were the like we're the team broadcaster like no most most places we have pros we just have our students broadcasting it's really cool so i went with our women's basketball team to the big 10 tournament in indianapolis the same time the men's big 10 tournament was being played at Luke soil the women's was being played at bankers life the uh pace so i went with them so i would wake i would wake up at eight in the morning i would do bracketology for SI until 10 in the morning. I would go down, eat breakfast, put my suit on, uh, walk over to Banker's Life, sit in Banker's Life, work on whatever I needed to catch up on college basketball-wise from, you know, 11 until noon. The game was at 1, so I'd, you know, put my notes together to, to call, the, call the women's basketball game. I'd call the women's basketball game from 1 to 3. I'd pick up the stuff. I'd walk back to the hotel. I would sit down. I would... Uh, you know, I, I would do another bracketology because we were doing daily updates it's right before the NCAA tournament starting. And then, you know, I'd work till seven or eight and then I would, you know, hit the bar and, and try to forget how much work I just did that day. And would wake <laughs> up and that was, that was the entire week leading up to March Madness. That's a so it, was, day, it was a grind. It was a grind. So uh, I was glad to have, you know, like a month and a half, especially once everyone was vaccinated, like in May and June to just like be a college kid right before I graduated. That was nice. Because uh, I didn't really feel like I had that for the last you know, year and a half. So that was, that was really good. And uh, now I guess I get to, get to start in the real world in a couple of days. I love it. Uh 
Support for the Greenlight Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code GREENLIGHT at manscaped.com. Listen, fellas, we've all been there. We've tried to trim down there using a million different things. Stop it. Go with Manscaped. It's the easiest one. Your balls will thank you. Again, 20% off, free shipping with the code GREENLIGHT at manscaped.com. Um, I think I know the answer to the first part of this question, but what made you choose Northwestern? And then second part of the question is, will they win a national championship in your lifetime? Uh, Paul just came heavy with that one. That was, that was such an early, like putting on the spot where uh, um, basketball national championship, no chance, not a chance. Uh, Football before basketball. I think it's a higher mountain to climb in football because it's harder to get into like the postseason. Although with the new well, extended postseason, I think there'd be at least a shot. I, I just don't think, I, I think Northwestern men's basketball is way more potential than Chris Collins is getting out of it right now. I think there's so much opportunity there with money and, you know, facilities and location, yep. yada, yada. But like winning a national title, it just seems so far beyond my like, <laughs> greatest dreams or aspirations. As far as why I chose Northwestern, uh, it was the only school outside of the Northeast that I was even like considering. I, I didn't, I didn't view myself as getting out of getting out and going, but I went, you know, when I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go to college, my junior year of high school, I like went through and made like a, like a notes app list of all the like sports writers and sports broadcasters that I liked, you know, and I put in, you know, their name and where they went to college and like Northwestern just kept coming up, kept coming up. I was like, all right, I really have to apply here. I applied make regular decision, which is apparently like a really stupid decision. Everyone says you're supposed to apply early because you have a better chance of getting out. I was like, eh, whatever. I'll just apply, apply regular. Like, give it a shot. And uh, got in regular. Didn't think I was going to go because I didn't think I'd be able to afford it. And financially, it made it work. And I was like, well, I guess I have to take this shot. And so I, uh, I took the shot and I really couldn't be, couldn't be happier that I did. It's an unbelievable place. No, that's, that's awesome. And, and I know also, I mean, you started off talking about, I was like Siena and, uh, and Ohio state, you definitely tugged at Paul's heartstrings there because Siena being, um, coach Carm being a friend of the pod, our first back, our first returning guest, our first head coach guest there. So we're definitely Siena. We're deaf. Paul and I are both definitely anti Ohio state. Um, and then I think we're also then on the same page there in terms of realism about Northwestern and, uh, and, and understanding that there is untapped, I think it's crazy to say, but untapped potential, um, even moving forward. And especially, I mean, thinking back, I, I think you mentioned you started college basketball central in 2016. Um, and obviously you've grown the following over the past five years. Um, speak a little bit about kind of how, how one Northwestern basketball has changed. And then two, kind of how your content has changed, um, and what you're reporting on, and especially as you go into into SI here. So Northwestern basketball, I mean, it's been it's been brutal. Like, I, I so so I got into Northwestern the day before the Northwestern Gonzaga round of 32 and still tournament game. So I was, you know, so, so so essentially everything that was good that had happened to Northwestern basketball stopped the moment that I got into school there. Which was uh, which is pretty great. Uh, the first year they played, I was there. They played at Allstate Arena, which is like 
11 miles from campus, which is an hour in Chicago traffic. It's a dump. It's terrible. It sucked the life out of the program for a year. And then, you know, bad recruiting decisions, you know, poor game management, poor player development, some bad luck along the way. And uh, you get three straight seasons with 10 plus game losing streaks, which is, which is never fun. Uh, so, so, so that's been the Northwestern men's basketball experience for me the last, uh, last four years or so. In terms of my content, I think the biggest thing is, first off, like as I've grown, the level of access that I've gotten has, has grown tremendously, which is, makes it so much easier for me to do the, do the job. It certainly changed the job a little bit. Like when I was, you know, my, my senior year of high school, I had, you know, all session tickets to go to the MAC tournament in Albany because I love, you know, I, I absolutely love, you know, Santa basketball. I love the MAC. It was one of the leagues that I followed for my blog. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to sit in my all session ticket. And I'm going to, you know, fire off tweets about the action. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to cover the MAC tournament. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was a credential. I had no, 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 no qualification. I was just there. I was like, I'm going to tweet and wrote a game story about every single game. And uh, I remember Sienna, you know, I was rooting for Sienna. They lost to Iona in the MAC title game in overtime. And I had to sit in the car. I sat in the car on the ride home, like feeling like I had been kicked repeatedly in the stomach and just try, you know, wrote on my iPhone 5C this like horrible recap of what I had just seen. <laughs> and so like to go from that to, you know, be able to, you know, stick courtside at, you know, conference tournaments and, you know, big events, you know, NBA arenas and you know, cover games and be able to you know, talk to coaches, have, you know, tons of coaches and you know, coach Parm, a good friend of mine as well, or, okay. you know, even, you know, even, my, even guys who have, you know, even bigger stature in this industry, I can just text on a window like, Hey, you know, can, can we do a podcast or, Hey man, like, can we, can I ask you a few questions about, you know, this team in your league? Cause I'm working on a, pro, a preview, like the access level has changed tremendously. And, and I think also I, it's allowed me to be a lot more like wide ranging in what I cover when I was, you know, Early, early on in what I was doing, it was very much like, I'm going to cover like the MAC, the NEC, the a America East, the Patriot League, and the Ivy, because they were like around, right around me. And as I, as I grew, I was like, all right, why, why can't I cover the Mountain West? Why can't I cover, you know, why can't I cover Duke and Kentucky? Like, I, I, yeah. I can do as good a job with, with all of those things. And I think early on, I didn't feel like there was a reason for me to jump into that, you know, crowded competition. And I think as I've grown on it, I've kind of grown to love the, uh, Love, love that competition with, with, with the big dogs, if you will. And, uh, you know, trying to become one of those big dogs. Uh, eventually, so. Love it. Um, all right. Speaking of big dogs, let's jump into this past year. Yes, sir. What were your final four picks? And <laughs> I am just going to say, I'm never picking Gonzaga again. I have been burned too many times. And I've said that multiple times. I don't think I can't even count how many times I'm like, no, I'm telling you, this is the year Gonzaga this year. This is the year. What were your final four picks, and then we'll go from there. Man, that is that's a great. But I'm gonna I'm pulling my bracket right now. I still yeah, have it tweeted yeah. out. It was it was bad. Like it was, it, it was not a great year for me. Um, I was I definitely had Gonzaga in the final four. I know that I picked them to win it all. Uh, and I'm I, I still think like throughout the year they were the best team in the country. It was just totally agree. I think totally so too. Agree. I mean, are they, they got to be preseason consensus number one with Timmy coming back, right? Yeah, and, and Chad is going to be ridiculous, and they're adding two five stars. Like it's, they're going to be unbelievably good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, so I, so I Gonzaga number one. I'm pulling the tur tournament challenge app as we speak, folks. We're going to have, I, I can just see how bad it was. <laughs> so I Gonzaga, Illinois, uh, Alabama, and Ohio State is my final four. 
So, oh, Ohio State one's tough because that and and us and Illinois. I mean, they're both they're, they're both quick ones. Um, it was such an odd year. To, I feel, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that many people. I don't know anyone that had UCLA in their Final Four. Um, I don't know a ton of people, honestly. I mean, obviously Baylor winning it. I, I think we, everyone said all all year it, it was a one A one B, but then we kind of got to that point where we thought Gonzaga Gonzaga maybe created that little bit of separation and. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it was an interesting, really interesting year. And it was hard to kind of, I, I think we all went into it saying it, it really wasn't um, exactly what ha, everyone had, had penciled in. But um, now that we shift to a year where we're not going to have a Roy Williams anymore, um, after this year, we're not going to have a Coach K. Um, those two programs specifically, North Carolina and Duke, if you had to pinpoint what program you think will be and say in, in better shape in, in five years, um, what are your thoughts on, on kind of the state and the, and the futures of those, those programs? That is really hard. Um, <laughs> I think both are going to be fine. Like I don't, I don't, I don't foresee either Duke or Carolina, you know, falling off the cliff. I know there's, there's this kind of discussion out there. Like is, is Duke post coach pay, you know, Indiana post Bob, Bobby Knight. I don't think so. I mean, obviously it's possible, but like, I think we're in a position where like the Duke brand is so strong that like Shire's going to be able to get players an unbelievably high level. And I think Shire's proven that he's a really smart you know, basketball mind. I think if you listen to him speak about the game, you understand, you see how, you know, how cerebral he is. And I think he'll do very well. And I think Hubert Davis has chance to do, you know, very well as well. I will say this. I would not have went internal with either of those hires. Like if I was, you know, if I was the AD at North Carolina, Bubba Cunningham, I would not have hired Hubert Davis. And if I was the AD at uh, Duke, Kevin White, I would not have hired John Shire because to me, to me, there, there's such an emphasis on like, you got to hire in the family, right? Like that is, that, that is, that was the term you heard all the time. Got to be the family. You know, Roy's going to pick his, his successor. Kay's going to pick his successor. You know, in my mind, you know, they, basically North Carolina, inter, you know, they, they wanted Mark Few. They were like, if you can get Mark Few or Jay Wright, we'll do it. But otherwise, you know, we're, we're hiring Hubert Davis. I think you should have went down the next year, right? I think you should have, you know, really considered a Chris Holtman, an Eric Musselman, a Nate Oates, right? And maybe not all those guys fit Carolina perfectly, but like that second tier of rising superstar coach to me was worth you know, hiring because they've been through the battles. They've been through, you know, understanding what it takes to run a program on a day-to-day basis. And again, maybe Hubert Davis works out, maybe he doesn't. But to me, like, I would have went after, you know, names like names like that who won at such a high level already in their careers early on, right? Like Muss in year two is going to the lead eight and nearly beat Baylor, had the best shot of beating Baylor of anyone in the NCAA tournament. To me, that's a guy that I would consider for, for one of those, you know, big-time jobs. So, Look, I think both of them are going to wind up on similar trajectories. I think both of them are going to be perennially top 25, but take a step down from being, you know, expected to be in the national title conversation. Maybe you could argue North Carolina already has in the recent, like, the late years of Roy. Um, but I think I think they'll both be fine. I just don't – I think they miss an opportunity to swing bigger uh, for defensively because I think at the end of the day, there, there are some – there's some real risk to hiring a guy with no head coaching experience. Like John Shire got turned down for UNLV and DePaul this cycle. Not gonna get to that's that's a good point. Like like I I hear you. It would, but to your point, it was just never not gonna be within the family. Never. Right. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll, 
the way the way they want to do it, right, is you hire within the family. You let you know the big you let the big name pick his successor. And when it fails in three to five years, if you want to fire him, you can fire him. And then there's no no excuse not to go outside the family. Now it's like okay, yep. it's fine. You know, Coach K, you don't get to pick again, right? You, you got your yep. you get one pick. You get one. How pick. many times, Paul, have you said over and over, you don't want to be the next guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy. And and it's almost like, and honestly, I, I think even more like. And no, not a knock at Hubert Davis either, but it just seemed like it was a hire that had, and I personally am a huge fan of Wes Miller. I would have loved Wes to have gotten it right away. And I feel like even then it was, even though Wes is in the family, it was, we have to keep it like really in the family, direct, direct lineage there. That's still, still in Chapel Hill, which I mean, it's, it's interesting to, to take the approach. And I guess, I mean, there's no one bigger than those programs. So I'm not going to knock them for, for that by, by any means, but um, I, I, think, I love your, your perspective on it. I, mean, I think a lot of us are, are thinking that they are, they're the biggest programs. Why can't they go get the biggest people? Um, it'll be interesting to see though, how it does shake out. And I should, practice. I should be fair and say, if I'm the AD, I, what I'm saying, I'm, if I'm the AD, I don't have, you know, the biggest man in college basketball coach K like breathing down my neck saying like, it's going to be Shire, right? It's going to be Shire. Right? Like I didn't have that pressure. So it's just, this is me, you know, ruling from a, yeah. an iron throne. So, yeah. No doubt. Um, all right, let's transition to uh, the three most important letters uh, in in college basketball right now, NIL. Um, what are your thoughts on the initial rollout and where do you see it going? Um, I'll preface it with, I think there's going to be a big boom, but there already is people announcing all sorts of random deals. I mean, there's been people in Times Square announcing things. Awesome. Love it. I do think there's going to be a pendulum swing kind of back to the middle though, where it'll calm down after call it 12 months and whatever happens that, but let's, let's just start with what, what do you think about the initial rollout? Are you surprised that it finally went through um, and Congress kind of made it happen? Kind of. I, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, when there was the kind of not NCAA property movement during the NCAA tournament bubble, there was all this conversation like, Oh, should they sit out? Like, should they wait? I was like, I'm like 85 to 90% sure this is happening on July 1st anyway, because how you already said state laws that were going to force it to happen in some states. And the NCAA wasn't going to be like, sorry, Florida, you're no longer allowed to compete in the NCAA. Like that was never going to happen. So realistically, we were always going to come to some kind of solution. This, what, what this solution is very patchwork. And obviously, you know, uh, there's significant work left to be done. I think if you were the NCAA, ideally by Congress to, uh, to just bail them out and not have to make them make the rules anymore. Um, so yeah, I think from that perspective, wasn't surprised that it was messy because the NCAA, what else would it be? Uh, I, I still love the the tweet that was like, uh, you know, the NCAA completing something they had years to work on the night before it's due, really embracing <laughs> the college vibes. Like that was that was fantastic and so true. Uh, in, in terms of like the the NIL, like where it's going, and, and I think right now the market is inflated because there's a marketing value to it being a college athlete NIL, right? Like there are brands that are working with athletes to be able to say, Hey, look, you know, we're in the college athletics branding and they're getting news right written about them, right? Like PetSmart, I believe is doing a partnership with a Arkansas football player who has like 2000 followers on Instagram because he's a beautiful white husky, a beautiful dog, right? Is there actually any value for PetSmart in that deal in five years? No. The, the value is that they're partnering with a college athlete and they're getting press for partnering with a college athlete. So, you know, 
relatively soon we'll get out of the novelty and then it'll become, I think what will be realistically for most players is the ability to make some, you know, some nice money on the side, running summer camps, doing cameo, doing, you know, appearances, signing autographs, all these things, like all these pretty minor things. And then you'll have some, you know, star level players who will make some significant money. And you also have some non-star players who are stars in, on social media, which is the Cavender twins from Fresno State, Adrian Nunez from Michigan, yeah. uh, you know, several other people like that. Like they're stars because of something completely different. They were getting held back by the NCAA's rules. Now they won't have to deal with that. So I think it's going to be fine. I think again, you're going to have some, you know, you're going to have some craziness, you know, early on um, because of this. I think you're also going to have some you know, meandering where people are pushing the rules and recruiting and seeing what they can do to you know, move money around. But at the end of the day, you know, money's going to get moved around in college sports. That's how this works. The, the biggest programs will find a way to get the most money to their players, just like they have in the past. And uh, well, the, the, the water will find its level, which is my take a little bit. And it's funny that you say that because it transitions perfectly what I, I, I was going to ask next. And another thing that I think, I think Paul and I both agree that um, at the end of the day is probably going to help the power programs more than anything is the transfer portal and kind of how that has um, one, how that is just, I don't want to say for lack of a better term, he's gotten out of control in the past couple of years. Um, how do you think, I mean, with what we've seen already, how does the uncertainty of players staying affect mid majors compared to the high majors? Um, it, what are, what do you see as the positives, the negatives and, and where you see it going? So I think the biggest positive, and I think one of the challenges, right, is it is it depends on you know your view of, of the sport, right? Like I understand completely the people who are like, this sucks because I love college basketball because I follow a kid for multiple years in one place and like you know really build attachment, right? Like again, I'll, I'll go back to my like kid days at Sienna. Like I held such a strong attachment to their senior class that was you know freshman my freshman year of high school and seniors my senior year of high school. Those kids, those dudes, like, I love those players. I will never feel an attachment to college athletes like I felt those those guys because, like, that was, A, like, my prime of being a fan. You know, I'm never going to be a fan like that again. But also, like, I'm never going to have players that stick around like that. You know, Sienna just lost Jalen Pickett to Penn State after three yep. years. You know, that, that's the way it's going to be. Um, so I think from that perspective, I get why people don't like it. But I think as a guy who loves, like, the, the roster movement, like, I, I love – I don't just love college basketball from November to March. Like I, I, I legitimately love, you know, playing around with rosters and seeing how it moves. I think it's so fun. You know, I think it's awesome to be able to like be sitting here on July 1st and be like, man, what would happen if Kofi goes to, you know, Kentucky? What would happen if this guy goes here? Like that's, to me, that's really entertaining. That's, that's cool. So look, I think the biggest thing the portal does is it means that no rebuild is a five-year plan, right? Like we, 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 it was all the time, like, oh, this is a three-year job. This is a five-year job. No, it's not. Right? Like, Texas was on track. I mean, obviously, Texas Texas is an elite program. Texas was on track to be, like, legitimately bad last year. Like, probably, like, nowhere close to the NCAA tournament mix. Um, you know, the day, the day after they got eliminated by Abilene Christian, the projection would, I would have had would have been, you know, nowhere close to the NCAA tournament. Right now, they really might be my, my number one team in the country. They're probably going to be cut off by Gonzaga, but they're going to be, like, top five right now because of the portal. And, but that, but that trickles down, right? Like mid-major programs have been able to, you know, turn around super, super quick, right? Like, um, you know, Iona's done a good job in the portal in years past and certainly doing well with Tino now. Like you can go through, you know, one by one. And 
I would forget all of them if I did, but like, you can flip a thing in two to three years and get winning right away. And I think as a fan of the sport, I think that's cool because it's, there's nothing, there's nothing less fun than being a fan of a team and knowing in you know, April they're going to suck, right? Like the season just ended like, man, like I, I might have a little hope, but like, what, what am I rooting? Like, maybe, maybe my freshman will be, you know, the next drama ring. Like there's nothing, there's, you, you can pray for that, but that's not likely. To have this like hope that you can go out and fix it is, is, is invigorating for me. And I think it should be invigorating for, for every coach in, in college basketball. I think, I think every coach should see the opportunity here because if you do it right, you can go get kids. And, you know, again, the talent level will find its level. The best players are always going to be at the biggest programs, but that's how it's been, right? Like it's not, it's not new. Um, so the best players will wind up with the biggest programs and it'll trickle down. And if you build a great team, you know, like some of these, you know, second tier programs have done, you know, Baylor, for instance, was not an elite program. They built great teams. Now they can get into the mix for some of those big players, right? Yeah. And it works its way up. So I think, I, I, I don't think it changes the, the structure of college basketball any, in any significant way. I just think it changes the route in which players move through. Do you think, so I totally agree with you in terms of the turnaround, right? I mean, you could get hired with six players on scholarship and all of a sudden have a really good team. And, you know, you can, you can get six new kids, but is that sustainable? You know, is it something that, like you said, yes, the trickle down does happen, but if everyone is constantly leaving, you know, yeah, you do build a team for a year, but you took two grad transfers, one kid with one year, one kid with two, like, I think actually who gets hurt. And we definitely saw it this year in high school is high school seniors. High school seniors are getting the short end of the stick because they just become the lowest end of the total. People, we don't have time. Like you said, five years. Yeah, like this is my livelihood. I don't have time for you to develop. I need a Juco kid. I need a kid who, you know, whoever, it doesn't matter. I need a transfer who can play right now. Is it sustainable? I don't know. Well, I think I think one of the one of the things I would say is coaches have treated their jobs less long-term, right? Like, yeah. you know, it used to be, you know, if a coach was going to go somewhere, they weren't leaving in two, three years. The goal wasn't to flip it quick. It was, you know, you're going to build something, you're going to have a yeah, sustained run of success. And by winning for three years, you're going to, you know, you know, if you, you take year one's a rebuild, year two, you're showing promise, year three, four, and five, you win big, and then you get the high major job. Now it's like, you know, can I be somewhere for two years and get the next jump from like, you know, can I jump from being at a, you know, a max school to an A10 and then spend three years at the A10 and go from the A10 to the Big East. And then for the Big East, after three years in the Big East, I'll go, you know, go work in the Big Ten, right? Like, yeah. that, that's not how it was. And I think, I think coaches are usually the same way. You know, Dennis Gates came in with three scholarship players in July, yeah. getting a job at Cleveland State. 18 months later, he wins the league and is, you know, in the mix for five high major jobs. Like, if he had gotten one of those jobs, he'd be out of here. Like, you know, yeah. like that, that's, that's how, that's, that's not how it used to be. So I think, I think it's just everyone is in a, in a quicker cycle mode. So, so yeah, yeah I mean, I think if, if your goal is to build that five, six, seven year program, you're going to have to do it different and you're going to have to do things in a way where like you have to be incredibly confident. If you're, if you're a coach right now, you have to have 1 million percent belief in yourself and your, 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 you know, program building philosophy. Yep. Cause if you don't, if you walk in, I think Porter Mosier is an unbelievable example of a guy who has, unbelievable faith in what he does and that he's going to figure it out. If you walk in and you try to mimic everybody else, you're dead. You are yeah. so tough, right? You have to come in and know who you are. And if who you are is we're going to develop kids 
and we're going to get them in the gym and we're going to teach them every little bit about, about this game and get them to play fundamentally sound basketball, you better believe it. And if you do, like Porter does, you're going to go to the final four and go to the sweet seat. And if you don't, uh, you're going to get <laughs> in five years. You're 100% right. And I think in obviously I do this a lot because it's where my eyes are peeled. But I think if you look at any program in the country, if you, you say what what is a program that is all about developing guys and have to buy in, I think Virginia is probably one of the first ones that comes to mind. And if you look at Tony's first few years, even those first recruiting classes, they had plenty of guys transfer out. Guys that they was not KT Harrell, Paul Jesperson, guys that just weren't fits. And then they actually replenished them with guys that were major impact people, a guy like Anthony Gill. Um, most recently, you, now you guys you look at like a Sam Hauser that filled a, a scoring role that they didn't have the year before. And I think what's the most interesting about this, and the, I think the last part of that we get into this, uh, I think both sides of the transfer portal, you have a guy like Trey Murphy who goes immediately from Rice and, and having good numbers to UVA and having – a decent, uh, I was a more than decent year showed his potential to now immediately go into the draft. And on the other side of the coin, you have guys like uh, Casey Morsell and Justin McCoy that can go within conference, right to two of the bigger rivals. So it, I don't think, and, and I said, this has been happening. Transfers have been coming in and out. I think the most interesting part of all this and, and tie this in is now you look at a situation like Illinois and Kofi Coburn, that both of those top two assistants go to UK he has put his name in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the draft gets his feedback, but then now is putting his, his name in the portal after testing the, after testing the draft. And do you, what do you, what are your thoughts about that situation? And do you see that becoming something where um, that seems like, Hey, it, it could, it could be all sorts of wild. So I think first, first of all, um, this kind of second wave of the portal is so interesting this year. It's July, you know, July 1st was the, portal deadline to be eligible immediately um, and that was coinciding basically with the draft deadline and so we have basically 10 guys who were with like Shackleford, Keith Williams, whatever who didn't like their feedback it's, you know, uh-oh and said I'm going to hit the portal and see if I can find something better next year that deadline is May 1st the deadline was only July 1st this year because of the pandemic and obviously the NBA draft combine is a little later this year than normal but it's usually in late May so what's going to happen next year with guys like this like Kofi who entered the portal because they realized after the combine, like, oh crap, I'm not getting drafted. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. So I think we need to have a conversation about, you know, we should be, you know, this should be a June 1st deadline, I think, in a normal year to, again, coincide with the NBA draft decision date. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think on, on, on the Coburn front and on, you know, the front of any of these guys that are, you know, able to move on for, you know, an NBA, NBA opportunity or to kind of shift, shift, shift things around with, for, for, for a different reason, like a, a star level player. Like, I think for me, from a, from a, from a team building standpoint, it fully emphasizes what I've, what I've said on, on my show in the past. Which is, to me, the most underrated skill right now for a college basketball coach is how you consistently are able to plug and play guys into different systems, right? Like Eric Musselman has played different styles, every, you know, different years. Craig Smith, you know, now yeah. Utah. I think is the best in the country at this, right? They were guard oriented at South Dakota. Everything went through Mooney and they went to, you know, went to Utah state and they changed up a little bit to you know, get Kata involved and also have Sam Merrill. Now this past year when Merrill graduated, they were, you know, everything through the post, right? It was so different, right? And he changed his entire style. I think, I think the adaptability becomes the most 
you know, important skill as a coach to, to building great teams. And I think for players, it's finding coaches that will put you in the right positions and not give you bullshit, right? Like with, to- with Kofi is the example. Um, there are guys out there telling Kofi Coburn that he should come to their school because they'll let him shoot jump shots. I saw your tweet about this. I'm hoping you brought this up. We have to watch that. I'm not watching wherever he goes. Yeah. Again, want want, want to know what they should be telling Kofi? You want to know how to get to the league? You know, garden garden space. You know, move your feet. You know, learn how to guard and drop coverage. Don't get killed by Cameron Trotwig like you did against Loyola Chicago. Get some feel. Learn how to pass out of a double. Those are the things that actually get get to the NBA. So I think, again, coaches who believe believe in their systems and believe in their ability to develop players and don't just want to sell you know this crazy vision to kids and Kobe Coburn's like an elite example of this and he's the best transfer we've had in the last five plus yeah. years like I think those are the people you got to drive and I think the players who come in ready to work who aren't you know who aren't being sold on like oh man like my only path to the league is from a center sh- shooting threes to like go those are the players so I think there are I think, other routes again, to take yep. it, it, it's nothing so different it's just how do we apply the things that have always been true, right? Like genuine relationships, you know, team building, et cetera, to, okay, instead of now doing this over a four-year span, we're doing this like every offseason because every kid can leave at any time. Um, switching gears a little bit, there's a couple rule changes that are uh, proposed this year um, that they're deciding on, see if they're going to want to, you know, at least test out. If you could change one rule in college basketball right now, what would it be? Oof. I don't, I don't even know if this qualifies as a as a rule, but like we got to fix the block charge stuff. I mean, it's it's we gotta just fix the point. The block charge stuff. I mean, it's just uh, well, gotten yeah. to a ridiculous sure. point where sure. we're just guessing. I mean, sure. I don't think I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a huge like we need to get rid of you know halves and go to quarters. I'm not like a huge like oh my gosh we have to go to advancing the ball out of you know late in games. Like I could be talked into them. I'm not like a I'm not I don't have to hugely strong opinions either way but like from a quality of game standpoint just the like the block charges are destroying the game like they are just absolutely destroying game because who, the, who is the official i can't stand him who he it was the first call of the national championship and it was horrendous oh, it was against I, I know, who or dan oh bo bo um bo Borowski, bo Borowski, yeah. yeah bo Borowski. and it was horrendous and it was the first call and I just felt like all college basketball fans everywhere just took a, a, a collective sigh. Like, God damn it. Like, are you, this is how we're going to start? Like, I can't keep defending this. You know what I mean? It's awful. It's awful. I'm right there with you. I don't know how we fix it, though. No. I mean, there's, there's no good way because, again, you just start to swing in one direction or the other. You say, oh, you, you got to stop calling charges because guys are just flopping. And then you get all out of control drivers and it just go and it goes in the wrong direction, right? Like, we need, we need to, what, what needs to happen is that like, you know, the high school and AAU level, we need to teach kids jump stop and, you know, make, make decisions and not get caught in the air and all those things that are actually, you know, and we need to teach defenders to, you know, actually guard the, guard the ball instead of, you know, lining up to try to take charges from all over the court. Right. Like, again, that's the best way of enforcing, of getting it to change, but that's not like something that the officials can, can do themselves. Yeah. So it's a mess. No, it's definitely where it starts. And it's obviously it's, 
a, it's a trickle down effect or trickle up. However, it's transitioning. It's, I mean, we're playing zone and when you're playing zone 24 seven in AAU tournaments, the same exact way. We're not teaching the correct fundamentals. Um, you're going to shift into bad habits. It's going to shift into uh, the way games are being called too. but finishing up with, um, and last topic here, NBA draft coming up. Obviously we talk about Kofi and we, and a few of these one, um, is K the most automatic number one pick? Um, and then two, uh, something close to home to Paul and I is actually, I want to say breaking news right before we came on. Um, probably the best player since I've been at Ohio, Jason Preston, uh, just decided to, uh, to, to keep his name in the draft um, and, and, and stay um, in, in that process and, and hopefully be a first round or early second round pick. One, where do you see the top of the draft? And then also guys like Jason Preston, any other mid-majors, guys like that that um, we're testing it that, that you think could be could be impact players? Yeah, I mean, I think Cade for sure has to be your number one pick. I think especially like watching the way the playoffs have gone, I think, you know, anyone who can guard three to four positions, handle the ball, you know, shoot the three, create shots high level. I also think like it shouldn't be lost upon people just how impressive – Cade lifting Oklahoma State to a, you know, top four seed in the NCAA tournament's been when we've seen Anthony Edwards take Georgia to, you know, ruin, uh, right? Like, there have been so, – I mean, that's just one example. There's been ten examples, you know, of, of top ten recruits who have yeah. went to, you know, non-traditional locations for this school. They've been terrible, yeah. right? The school, the teams have been terrible, and the guys have gotten their yeah. shot, right? And Cade never was about that. And, again, Oklahoma State had a decent roster, but, like, that team was not, you know, built to – win big without him and it was it was the cage show and the cage show you know had, had a real shot of you know pushing any team in the country you know they pushed Baylor really really hard they played some great 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 games against Baylor so uh I think Kate has to be number one I think the top of the draft is really strong though like I think Suggs is going to be outstanding I think I think even like into the second tier like I think guys like Booknight will have tremendous oh, yes. careers big Booknight fan here as well I like Booknight I think especially you know watching you know, the ability of these, you know, scoring, these scoring guards, the, the value of that, even, even like a Jordan Clarkson value in the NBA. Like I think Booknight can be better than Jordan Clarkson at that, at, at that role, but that role is so valuable now because you need guys who can go get a shot. Tons of mid-major guys. Um, love Preston, like so excited for him. Obviously would have enjoyed seeing him one more year in college, but I don't think that was necessarily realistic. I will say like, I mean, in April, Every single high major coach who had who had my number texted me at some point. It's like, do you know if Preston's like going to the portal? Like, what's the deal here? Like, can we get Preston? And I was like, I don't think so, man. I think it's Ohio or the league, and I think it's probably the league. And uh, you know, he, he showed out the combine, like, and he proved, you know, why he can, you know, be a really good pro. And you know, the development curve is still you know, very real. Like, I think it's going to be, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to wind up in the first round, I think late first round. He's going to take. It's going to be be really really fun um other guys like i love max a smith like so much uh, i got a chance to talk to his aau coach and his parents the night before they played arkansas um in the NCAA tournament and just like unbelievably blown away by the whole story there uh, and I can, you know people can google the story i think it was called like where like how did the world miss out max a smith you could find it it was great. Uh, I love. I loved writing this. Maybe my favorite story I've written for them. Um, yeah, like I just don't think he's ready yet. Like I think he needs to go back. I think he needs to get stronger. I think he needs to. You'll learn how to. You know, he needs to learn. It's challenging because he needs to learn how to not be a featured guy on the on the offense, be like a second unit shooter. 
but he can't do that at Oral Roberts. But I can't do that anywhere in college. He's so good at what he is right now in college. So I think he needs to go back to school um, and, you know, hopefully he does. I think O'Banner from Oral Roberts, another guy who's like interesting. Obviously, I don't know how he's going to defend anyone, but like the ability to pick and pop at, you know, 46% as a 6 eight guy is insane. Uh, he's in the portal. He's a guy who could, you know, really make some waves for a high major, I think. And so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Like, I'm, I'm blanking on the other, you know, huge mid-major names. Like, I think – like, I'm excited about some of the guys that are calling up through the mid-major ranks that might be NBA guys down the line. You know, yeah. maybe not like a true NBA guy, but Kenneth Lofton from Louisiana Tech getting to play USA basketball this spring. Like, this summer is awesome. Like, it's so much fun. He's playing really well. Like he's averaging double digits on that team. He's starting. He's playing huge minutes. Like, like to me, that's that's the coolest thing in the world. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that more mid-major guys like that get – get opportunities because it's been it's been fun to watch um all right man we'll get you out of here on this it's actually an nba question but is it sons in four? <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, i don't think it's in four even though that would that would be uh great to fulfill the prophecy but no i think they're uh they're, they're gonna win they're gonna win this it's, it's just it's, it's it's meant to be at this point they've been so good uh watching devin booker go from 10 points and two rebounds Kentucky to, to this has been nothing short of entertaining. I don't get a chance to really watch the NBA during the regular season. So uh, I was joking with Brad, my podcast partner, my favorite part of the NBA playoffs every year is realizing the guys that suck now, you know, get realizing like, Oh, oh I, 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 I thought that guy was good. And like all of a sudden it's like, Oh wow. Uh, each one more really can't play in the league anymore. Can he? Yeah. Oops. You know, so I just want to take that. I want to take that to literally, I sent a text and I don't even know if anyone I've even told this this time last year, I guess this time last August, I was at a bachelor party in Tahoe coming back and Frank Kaminsky is sitting in the, in the Reno airport, absolutely hung over. And I'm thinking like, is he going to even still be in the league? And then last night I see him lacing up his shoes, ready to go. And I said, how quickly things can change. And in, in, in a span of a year, but you're hundred percent right. And especially in a finals where, not a single player on either roster has won a championship before. Um, it, it's 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 really interesting to see exactly exactly what you said. Get my man Frank his ring. Let's go, baby. <laughs> well deserved, Kevin. This was awesome, man. We really appreciate you coming on. Congrats again on Sports Illustrated. Uh, if you're in um, I'm in Columbus, Ian is down in Carolina, right outside of Durham. So if you're ever in those areas, we'll uh, we'll grab a beer and watch the game. I love it. Yes, uh, I will do that. And again, appreciate you guys uh, having me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, it was always fun to, to get asked questions by yourself. <laughs> so it was great. Appreciate it. Awesome. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Captain. See you. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, then tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pull, slush, rust, souls up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.